Welcome to the Wealth Management Unfiltered Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm your host, uh, Justin Sheehan. I have two esteemed guests today. Dennis Runkel, who is a the founder, partner, the everything at Wealth Management Accounting, uh, and Barrett Rodriguez, who is an attorney. He specializes in tax planning, tax credits, audit defense, uh, consulting. Uh, he is well-versed. He's been on the podcast before. We liked him so much. The audience loved him so much. We had to bring him back. Uh, and so Barrett, thanks for uh, joining us today from sunny, sunny, uh, Tampa. Is that right? That's correct. And awesome. sunny and nice today. Matter yes. I'm looking out my window and it's rainy and 30. So <laughs> I'm wishing I was with you guys. We won't, uh, we won't talk about the weather here in Tampa. That's right. That's right. Uh, so today we're talking about a key part in our CPR plan, which also includes uh, tax planning, which also includes investment management, which also includes asset protection. And the key part is estate planning. It can feel like, what is it? What is it exactly? Are we talking about death the whole time? But uh, l let's start with this, uh, Denny. Just let's define it for the audience. What does estate planning mean? Why is it one fourth of our planning process? Initially, we call that getting your house in order. We have a new client and one of the first things we ask, do you have your house in order? And they look, well, what are you talking about? We kind of uh, reference, we look at your hair because you plan on living, creating some wealth, retiring. But what then is the unexpected is disability and death. So whether you live, die or become disabled, we want to have you clearly predetermined what will happen to your family. And they're just, well, why would we do that? We just thought you would help our wealth grow. But wait, what, what would happen if you were disabled and no more income to your family? Wouldn't that drastically change your family's wealth? Even worse, what happens if you weren't the breadwinner of your family? If we plan for the worst, hope for the best, we're very comfortable with the results. So most people are very, very surprised. And we start asking them a series of questions. Do you know what your net worth is? What is your clearly defined plan? All this fits together. Once we have some of the tools and we're going to talk about it in a little bit, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but the family LLC, living trust, advanced healthcare directive, all of those are really critical in all areas of wealth management, not just thinking about your death and demise, which is morbid and who wants to do that? Yep. It is one of the guarantees in life though, right? What, what, what do they say? Taxes, death and taxes. They say that. Yep. yep. Taxes less, less certain. That's right. Uh, Vera, from your perspective as an attorney, I guess what's the, when you're working with a business owner or, or an individual, uh, or family, what's the biggest challenge you see or the biggest pitfall when it comes to estate planning? Not having one. It's a surprisingly high percentage of people who just don't have one. There's a lot of kind of one size fit all solutions out there. Um, you know, in a revocable living trusts are perfectly good. They're one of the, the go-to things and sometimes you need a little bit more than that but, you know they're not to not to say anything bad about those because they're really kind of part of most of estate plans but it's just the idea that you've got a document uh, or a series of documents that works together you you can't just think about how do i avoid probate it's also for for larger estates you know what can you do about taxes asset protection while people are alive still and just kind of the ease of transition because one of the things you you 
I've seen this before um, many times and probably everyone who's going to see this podcast has either experienced with it or knows someone who has just the, the fighting that can go on, you know, between the family. You don't, you don't want, you don't want the, you know, your last act on earth to be setting up this generational dispute between your two kids. Yeah. And, and you see, like, if you watch, you know, watch the news, you see some, uh, an actor dies or, or uh, a business person, high net worth, you know, famous person dies and, and the kids are fighting. Right. And it's a little dramatic, dramatized, but it happens. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause like you, a lot of times I think, oh, look, I'm going to inherit $10 million. I shouldn't be pretty happy, but you know, you're still fighting over the fact it could have been 10 and a half. Yeah. So, so having the, having a, a nice plan, that's first off, you want to make sure that things go where you want them to go. So you, you need to have a plan in general. Um, and then whatever, wherever things are going to, whatever you decided on, you, you look, you want it, you want to put a, give a million dollars to your pet. That's fine. So, you know, like, how are you going to, how are you going to make that work? Um, so that you can, you know, your, your, your pet can live in the Taj Mahal. It trusted you. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but no, no pun intended. You literally set up a bank account for the pet. Like I'm trying to, I don't want to get into the mechanics of it, but that's. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but no, no pun intended. But yeah, the uh, people will do stuff like that. And it's kind of a comical subject because, you know, one of the facts of life on pets is they don't live very long. You have this wonderful pet you dearly love, and then you go through the process of losing them. Well, when you do estate planning for a pet, it's only going to be around five or 10 years. At the most, you still have to do the estate planning. What happens when the, the pet passes? So it's kind of comical. Yeah, you got to think all of that through. So it, it can be an uncomfortable conversation sometimes. Not necessarily in the context of a pet. Your other, other. right? No, like you were, like you said a little bit earlier. No one really likes to think about this stuff. Yeah, you just have to. Yep. It's part of like, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Even practically what at right after you die, that should be a time of mourning and celebration, not fighting. Yep. Exactly. And having a good plan, avoid having a good plan does a couple of things. A things go where you want them to go. B you can save yourself, depending again, the size of the estate comes into the fact that you can definitely save yourself a bunch of money on tax. Maybe as big a driver for some people is just not having the the family fighting. So well, Barry, you mentioned, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Denny. We're not to the inconvenient truth, but as a, a business and a financial planner, no one wants to talk about their death, planning for their death. But when we were able to use the tools that really help the transfer of, of wealth and the legacy and eliminating probate, reducing any estate taxes, that they could have an immediate income tax advantage with the same tools that you're using for estate planning, it went from like 2% people that actually did it to 98%. People love when they can do a plan and have a tool that has multiple uses. So what do you mean? I, if I do this tool, I'm speaking of the family LLC, it could have immediate tax advantages and provide asset protection and do my estate planning and Yes, sir. Or yes, ma'am. Wow. When can we start? Versus they would never talk about it. So we found that as getting our house in order back to that, that that is one of the tools that when people understand and we can help educate all the possible uses, they're very, very much interested in doing. Yeah. And it's so cool. Cause I think when people think of estate planning, even though man, I'm getting morbid, 
death is at our front door all the time or a back door all the time. We don't think about it. We think, oh, that's a long way off. I'm not even close to retirement. I have plenty of time to, to do those things. So I think people put it off. But I think what I love about wealth management accounting is they the tools that are used for that quote unquote far off time benefit you know our clients today, whether it's a family LLC, which leads to tax savings or asset protection, depending on how you set it up. But but let's let's get into into some of those tools and maybe Danny, if you want to touch on uh, the family LLC, we did a whole episode uh, on the family LLC. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago uh, with Barrett. And if you want to do a deep dive on it, uh, pr please listen to that episode. We'll have it in the show notes. But Danny, can you give us just the uh, the the thirty second version of what the fam family LLC is and and how that affects estate planning? Well, it's an entity, and again, Barrett is the expert. As far as attorney, I'm just the guy that sees the benefits of it, you know, so as our team works together to create a plan for each family and they, and they can be different, quite different. It's just a tool that, and, and most people have heard about having a S corp, a C corp, an LLC as you do a business. So this is creating a tool that helps you manage your family finances, much like a business has an entity, a corporation to manage their business assets. And it's quite a lot alike in the ability to protect your assets, help with taxes, all the things that it helps in a business also is applicable on your personal net worth. Barrett, what's your perspective on the family LLC? Because it's easy to assume, oh yeah, the family LLC, but I think most people don't even know what that is. They may have listened to the previous podcast, but Right. How does that connect to the state planning topic we're talking about? Well, I think the fam the family LLC is a potentially useful tool in in part of the estate planning. You know, a couple of the things that you'd be trying to avoid um, would be keeping things out of having to go through probate. Having a family LLC, essentially, what you would typically do is have like some settlers, the people who are putting the property in, will retain control over that LLC, and they will set up their you know whatever beneficiaries they want as partial members you know, owning fractional shares of that. And it's oftentimes equal if you want your kids equally, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and you know, the, the assets are in there. So the assets are not in your name anymore, um, which means that the probate doesn't come into that. So you get a, you can pull a ton of stuff out of probate while still having it go where you are and you retain control over that, you know, with a well-drafted operating agreement that gives you with certain things are going to, you're still going to be able to control how those assets are used during your life. What is the risk of one's assets going through probate? First, again, if you're going through probate in a intestate type kind of situation, things might not go where you want them to go. But also the big risk is just that there's a significant amount of cost associated with it. So you're going to pay a couple percentage points. Wow. And if your assets are, the inheritance is huge. That could mean a lot it, on it, top of the headache. I, yeah, it can be a lot, but actually it can always mean a lot. People will vastly underestimate the value of their estate, but if you own your nets and that's just left in your name, they're, the house is usually going to, especially now, a couple hundred grand. It's really easy to get to the point where you're paying twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in fees on probate. Wow. The more money you have, the bigger the number is, but maybe the less you need it. If you've only got two hundred fifty thousand dollars, thirty thousand of it's going to get sucked away, or maybe not quite that much on an estate that small. But still, it's a, it's it hurts more 
when you've got a smaller pool of money. If you only have a house, just as an example, like now you've got, there's a fee that's due. How are you going to pay that fee? I mean, you might not have the money. You might, this could be a house that you're planning on living in, but now you've got to sell it just to right. The money's locked into the house. Yeah. 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 I mean, that can happen. You know, hopefully you'll get a loan, but not everyone qualifies. Go ahead, Denny. From Raymond's perspective, what I find people aren't aware of is when you have a will, it gets probated. It opens up the estate for creditors. Typically, you have to publicize that for any creditors to make a claim against the estate. And that could be people maybe that uh, lost heirs that show up that want to make a claim. (laughs) It just opens up a can of worms, literally, that are very uncomfortable. I've not had a situation when probate happened that the client wasn't, or the heirs weren't distressed. Now, there may be, wow. and Bear might do it, but on my end, not to have it made public, not to open it up for any creditors or anybody to contest it, is a huge, huge benefit. Barrett, I, uh, did, what do you see from your perspective? You know, we see things different coming from a, a layman's versus an attorney. I think those are the valid points of the, some of the highlights right there. Yeah. So <laughs> when I think of estate planning, I also think of a bunch of documents <laughs> that I need. Is it a will? We've mentioned a revocable living trust. Yeah. Uh, there's, I don't know if power of attorney or POI or a medical or I guess, can you bear, give me, I guess the essential, what are the essentials? What are the essential documents that one needs to do estate planning? Right. Right. I bare minimum and what you would typically get probably are just a revocable living trust, a will for anything that you didn't put in the trust. And yeah, you're like medical powers of attorney, some advanced care directives that let, you know, make your wishes known. That's probably the bare minimum. There's a lot more that can go into it. And it's a matter of where do you draw the lines, what's minimum. But I would think a power of attorney that lets someone make decisions for you in incapacity, some plan of what those decisions need to be made. This is more medical. And then thinking of your assets themselves. I would, I mean, there's a lot of people say bare minimum is a will, right? Well, you don't really technically need the trust at all. But if you have a will, you are going to prove it. The will... Talk about that difference real quick between a will and revocable living trust, just for that. Cause I think most people are thinking, oh, I have a will. I downloaded it on LegalZoom or whatever, not a sponsor yet, but what's the difference between those two? Uh, I think the, I'd say the main difference is, is who owns the asset, right? So if you have a will, those the wills are assets that you own. They say a will speaks at death. So like you can, you do a will, but it doesn't actually go into effect until the day you die. A trust. You're moving the assets. You, you can set literally the exact same provisions of the two. It's just that during your lifetime, you move the property into the trust. And so it's no longer part. It's not your property. Therefore, it's not part of your probate estate. Awesome. Which is what we want. And yeah, it will go into probate if it's yours. Yeah, that's right. I actually don't want that. We want it to, in a way, that's a vehicle to avoid probate. Okay. Awesome. Good. You, you want a will, by the way, but because if you can do a pretty good job of putting everything into a trust, but you could forget something. You could acquire some new property. So these things you need to be looked at on a camp and revisited, but that's the, a danger. You know, you go buy a new car and you didn't put it in the trust. Well, you've got to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. You, Cause you can't plan your death. You want to have a will that says who gets what, just in case something gets left out. Right. Right. That last minute Amazon purchase, it's like, oh, just missed that. Putting that in the trust. Yeah, or the, or the Ferrari. Denny, in a previous episode, we talked about Sam Walton 
And now Sam Walton, right? He was the Walmart dude, founder of Walmart, billionaire, multimillionaire. You know, listeners like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. But I think there's a lot of principles about his experience or all the principles that we can apply, whether you're high net worth or low, whatever net worth you are. Can you talk about, do you know the Sam Walton story? Did we talk about it with you? Well, yes, we're aware of it. As it started out, this type of planning was built around limited partnership. Limited partnership has limited partners and a general partner. General partner would be the person with control, regardless of ownership. So that's important. Most people think of 51%, then they're in total control. But if the operating agreement is properly written, you can have where a much, much, much smaller interest and have total control. So that's why these types of uh, entities work so well on estate planning. Malton back then used partnership law to make him and his wife the general partners and their kids the limited partners, and then put Walmart stock, which wasn't really worth much. I don't even think it was called Walmart back then. Who knows what that was? But as the value of the business and his success grew and grew and grew, that stock was inside the partnership and grew inside there which enhanced, transferred much of his wealth to his kids through that growth. It was brilliant. <laughs> so not only was a brilliant businessman, he uh, put together the strategy. And I think if I'm not right, that was when I was born. 1953 was when he created this. That's kind of a shocking, you know, that long ago that these tools were available. So as it evolved into an LLC, so the one negative to the limited partnership was the general partner had liability. The LLC then helped that, plug that little bit of it where the managing member doesn't have the liability of the general partner. So it's better. So the family LLC is an evolution of the limited partnership that Sam Walton employed. And I would say, yeah. if we look at the history of how generational wealth transfer. I feel like the Waltons are one of the best examples. Recently, one of the heirs purchased the Denver Broncos, right? For a record, was it 4 billion? Something like that. And um, you could just see an example. Again, these are billionaires, but this can apply to you. It doesn't take much money to work with a sort of family LLC and do the right things, but we can use the tools that billionaires use today and in the past and apply it to our own finances, wherever we're at, whether we're in the crate stage, reserve stage, the retained stage. Oh, well, Justin, I think it's really important that what we're trying to give people is the choices that are available. We're not saying you need to do this or you need to do that. It's what applies to your family. These are some choices, help you get educated and pick the one that's for you. We're not necessarily saying everybody should have a family LLC. We are saying everybody should have a living trust. That whole level of doing a family LLC is and needs to be, you know, helpful to your family and your planning. So just, we just find so many people aren't even given the choices. When you're not given the choices, how do you know you're making the right decision? And when, most of the time they're not. And so it sounds like it's not a one size fits all approach. I probably, it's better than nothing. I probably shouldn't go on the internet and download a will and just fill in the blank and hope it works. So it's, it, it is a bit of a customized process. We use best practices. Barry, what are some of the- better than nothing. Yes. If it's written on a napkin, does that count? Is that- There's, 
there's state by state requirements for what, what formalities need to be done for a will, like witnessed and things like that are part of it. I don't know that necessarily the medium on which it's written is the hallmark, but I feel like if you're just doing a will on a napkin, you probably miss some of the other requirements. Got it. Got it. So th these are easy conversation. And I know Denny's had a lot of these. I know Bear, what are some of the, because I feel like if people are going into this process, it could feel overwhelming. It could feel scary. You don't want to talk about the end result, but what are some of the questions that we ask to, to develop a good estate plan? Flying likely heirs is a great place to start. Who do you, who is it that you want to have whatever is left over for a lot of people, that's their kids, but it's charities is, is another big one. And so that's, I think one of the easier places to start with is, you know, who are the people that you want? You also need to know what those are. You don't get too far without those things. What do you have to give away? Who yeah. do you want to get to? From there, that who do you want to give it to? There's different answers if you're charitably minded versus if you just want it all to go to your kids. There's other things that would come into play, but that's the jumping off point. Yeah. Danny, what know, are some questions we ask your, our clients? I think the biggest surprise I have, and it, it is really funny because I, we want to take a snapshot of each family where you're at right now. And there's two reasons. And, and people said, well, why do you need to know all that? And I said, well, we'd like to take a snapshot of your net worth so we can measure how well we really do for you. And I don't really go into the fact that most people don't know what their net worth is. So when you don't even have any idea what your net worth is, it does make it hard to plan. And, and, and so for measuring and to determine what you really have so that you can make a decision where it's to go. And in these days where you have his kids, her kids, and their kids, it becomes extremely important that their wishes, which is kind of the norm. I mean, this is not slamming anything, but the more involved your stepkids and everything are, more and more important, critical that you clearly define husband and wife, what you want to have happen. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking Barrett's in Tampa Bay area and Tom Brady, right? He just retired and divorced his wife and has multiple businesses, has multiple Super Bowl rings. I'm just thinking, what does his estate plan look like, right? He has a step, he has a son with one other woman, son of kids with Giselle, who they divorced. Like that, that must be fast. I'm just fascinated. Right? I'm How waiting you... for his phone call. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's a good one, Barrett. Yeah. I'm ready if you're watching this. We are happy to help you navigate this process <laughs> as if you're, and if you're a small business owner in the same breath, we will serve you with the same energy we'd serve Tom Brady. All right. We want to get into our inconvenient truth. We touched on taxes. Uh, I'm trying to remember as a kid, there's a lot of mid 2000s. There's a lot of a talk in PR about the death tax, which was like, I guess that's connected to estate planning. But I guess how can we, how does, I guess our process help, our estate planning process help with the tax planning aspect of our financial planning? There's a, there's currently a very high cap on that, at least historically speaking, a, a pretty high cap. That is, that, that is always subject to change though. So anytime we're talking about while you're alive, you know, 10 million plus, that's going to grow over time. You start to at least need to think about that, but anytime you're above 20 something million dollars, you know, in, in the present, you have an example though, like how did it possibly help, uh, you know, what, what we were talking about with the Walton, you know, if you, if you transfer a company when it is less valuable and it grows into that over time, well, the transfer is already done, right? We're not, we're not looking at that transfer at the 
at the day you die, we're looking at that transfer maybe 20, 30 years before. So, so that's a, a really clear example where it can make a significant difference on an estate tax type basis. The other thing is, I, I think right now the, the risk is significantly more on that that number is going to go down. They could change the currently 12 and change million dollars to 500,000. There's been a lot of money spent over the last couple of years. And that, that's a, a, a good target that is, re that is really easy to, to focus on like, Hey, do you really need to inherit $20 million free of that? I mean, th there's, there's lots of pushback because like you're the, the, the people who are having their estate tax already paid taxes during their lifetime. So it is like a definite double tax, but it's also, it's, it is an easy target. Do you really need 20 million bucks? I would think that there's right now a significant risk that that number goes down, especially after the last couple of years. But Justin, what I don't think people realize is we can take advantage of this current very high unified credit, which is that number that you have to go over. So back when I started in the estate planning, financial planning, it was 600,000, meaning any money over 600,000 was then taxed. Well, now it's what, 10, over 10 million, it changes every year big difference between 600,000 and 10 million, but right now, if this were to go backwards, let's say if it went back to 600,000, which I'm not implying at all, but let's just tend to did, we can actually take advantage of using the unified credit today, not worrying about what the future may hold and Congress changing it. And I don't think people are aware of that option. That, that is really, really bad on protecting your family. That's what I was speaking about. It could go back down to, it's almost $13 million right now. It could go down to wow. any number between zero. Just with a, a vote and a signature. Yeah, theoretically. It, it, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're never that, we're never any more than that away from it going away drastically. And I think that's why it's important. Estate planning is not a set and forget. I even think of a basic will, right? If I have a, I'm having a kid, Barrett just had another kid. Three kids, right? Three kids. Three kids. It's a club, I'm told, right? Where you have three, but Kaylee has four. So she we're brought on. We're on the basketball team. Basketball team. Basketball <laughs> team. There you go. There you go. We go from two to three, right? No more man to man. Right now, two is overwhelming, but three. That's going to be exciting opportunity. I don't have to think about it. I know you're getting close, but yeah. But it's a dynamic process, right? Just even remembering, I got to add that kid or I got to. And I think things like a unified credit, like you need it's someone to stay on top of that because we'll know, we'll be first to know as soon as that law or changes or passes, if it does, we'll know when there's changes in the tax law. So it's, it, you, estate planning is not a set and forget thing. Uh, like I think a lot think it is, it's a process. It's that's why it's an integral part of just ongoing planning. All right, we're at time. I want to end with this besides working with wealth management accounting and Barrett, what is one practical tip? Um, a listener can do today to just improve their estate planning situation. Go ahead. I'll go bear it first. Do something. The first job I had working with a lawyer, he's like a real estate lawyer, but also did some estate planning. He, and he said that his mentor had told him never leave a will on your desk because like tomorrow is not guaranteed for anybody. We're all one phone call away from just our lives being completely upended. You need to do something about it. So, you know sooner rather than later. And I think just to, you know, making it a priority would be my first piece of advice. Yeah. Yep. Do something. 
I love it. And it's so true because with taxes, there are deadlines and things you can do with financial planning. There are the stock market, there's, but death can't plan for that. Denny, what's your, your practical tip as we close? To review it at least every five years, but our wealth management accounting clients, we review every year to make sure that it's intact. There's no changes. And most of all, funding. You can't believe the amount of times people will inadvertently move fund their assets just because they didn't think about it out of the family LLC or out of the living trust. So this annual review is everything good, but do you have the assets in the right bucket? Without that, I, I can't tell you how critical it is to have a planner that is looking at all four of your management, your asset protection, your state planning, and your tax planning. And we do all that in one setting. So it's a com comprehensive, connected one hour appointment. We can cover all that because it works together. Awesome. Thank you so much, Denny Barrett, for today's recording on estate planning. If you're listening and want to learn more about wealth management accounting, visit our website, wmateam.org. Uh, schedule a free consult and follow us on all channels. Uh, we send a podcast out every two weeks. Uh, this is just, this is free education. You can't, I don't know if we quantified the education, how much it's worth, but uh, this is free education designed to just help you create a great plan for your financial present and your future. So thank you. And we'll see you next time.